we'd like to welcome you back to our study on uh, January 16th, 2011. And we're going to do a dedicated study here regarding, uh, it's entitled Rick Warren's Latest Demonic Trap Exposed, the New Health and Wellness Initiative Promoting Tantric Sex, Yoga, Meditation, and Reiki. I know that's a very subdued kind of innocent light title there for the teaching, but I figured I'd kind of let, them, let it all be known right up front. Um, just some Bible verses before we get into this. 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15 says, For such, like Rick Warren and all the hirelings of the pulpits, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, meaning they appear as apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. They appear as ministers of righteousness, but they're actually, you know, uh, working on Satan's behalf. And then it goes on to say, whose end shall be according to their works. And this 11-page PDF will be um, on contendingfortruth.com for the, the Rick Warren teaching on 11-16-2011. And then Second Peter 2 verses 17 through 19 says, these, meaning these deceitful workers, these are wells without water. Now, you can go to Rick Warren and try to be spiritually, spiritual thirst to be quenched, but it won't be quenched. They're wells without water. Clouds that are carried about with a tempest. Tempest is like a really bad storm. To whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. That's Rick Warren's ultimate end. And these false hirelings and these ministers of Satan and these wolves in sheep's clothing, their end is the midst of darkness. It's reserved for them forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Much of their preaching, you know, smiley. Joel Osteen, you know, much of their... And I'm not saying everybody that would sit under these ministries are all unsaved. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying for the majority of the people that follow them, that's most likely they're unsaved. I mean, again, if the head is sick, the whole body is sick. If the blind leadeth the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch, right? That's what the Bible says. Well, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through their, you know, positive... Uh, you know, flowery, unbiblical preaching most of the time. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them that live in air. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is, is he brought into bondage. If you go to these ministries and you sit in their churches, or if you watch them, even on the TV, over and over, you will eventually fall under their spell. I don't care how strong you think you are, but eventually, you're going to start buying in to what they're trying to sell you. Now, I'm not saying everything is going to be totally corrupt and evil. I mean, you can you can listen to a lot of it. I'm talking about a little leaven, or bad doctrine, leaveneth the whole lump. This is what you're ultimately getting into, and it's incrementalism. It doesn't happen just all at once or overnight, but um, it says, They themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage, in bondage. So if you, if you let them overcome you, then they're going to bring you into bondage. And they're going to promise you liberty, but they themselves are the servants of corruption. We're supposed to escape from them who live in air. You need to escape from these false preachers that are, are, are like Rick Warren being a, probably the quintessential example here. Okay, You need to escape from them because they're laying a trap for you. It's a trap. You do not want to be caught in this trap. Okay, At bare minimum, it's going to totally hinder your walk with the Lord. You're going to accomplish maybe just a fraction of what the Lord might have had purposed for you. And, you know, the devil likes that, you know, too. I mean, he, he's whatever he can do to hinder your walk with the Lord, he's going to try to accomplish that. 
I'm not saying if you listen to them over and over, it makes you unsaved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's going to hinder you, though. Uh, and the more you get into this, and a lot of people equate, like, listening, having Sky Angel on in their house 24-7 means that they're keeping all the devils and demons out. But a lot of the people up on Sky Angel, and these false prosperity preachers, preaching this prosperity gospel that are hirelings, meaning they're doing it for the hire, they're doing it for the money, and their 501c3 corporate status, which is where they're yoked up with the government, they're, they're bringing people into bondage, and the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 5. So if you're trusting in this man or this ministry for whatever, you know, that's not good. Now, Jeremiah 5, 26 through 31, Jeremiah 5, 26 through 31 says, For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. Remember what I said about the trap? That setteth snares, they set a trap. They catch men. They're not after, you know, like those turkeys I told you about in the last teaching. About. They're not after deer. You know, they're not after little, whatever, animals. They're after men, men and women. The souls of the men and women. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. What would that include? That would include whatever church or whatever platform that they're preaching or teaching from. Their houses are full of deceit. Now, it doesn't have to be 100% deceit. Again, I've said this before. Rat poison is like, you know, 98% good food, 2% poison. Doesn't, you know, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Going further, it says, therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. You think Rick Warren might have some money? Oh, he gives it all away. Okay, whatever. Whatever. Um, <laughs> there's so many of these prosperity televangelists. I mean, there's, I can't tell you, I mean, they have jets, palatial mansions, multiple houses all over the place. You know, it's, it's the norm. It really is the norm. I just didn't see Jesus Christ walk around that way when he was on, or any of his apostles. Just didn't see that happening a whole lot. Okay? Therefore, they have become great and waxen rich. See, a lot of people equate that as, well, that proves they're of God. No, it doesn't. It says it right here. They've become great and waxen rich. Well, they could only become of God. I mean, that's what—that's the lie that they feed their congregation. Well, if you want to be like me and, and, and fly around in a jet and do this and do that and drive all these luxury cars, then you got to give all your money to me. And I mean, they do all these things to get your money out of you. You know, they're bleeding you dry. It says they become great and wax and rich. That's no that's no acid test of if they're a man or a woman of God. And then it says they are wax and fat. They shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. I really believe in God's eyes, these types of people are worse than just your average everyday wicked person because they're doing it with this Christian veneer on, which is more of an abomination than like if you were just flat out evil and you're honest about it. You know, I mean, I'm just trying to think of the way I'd feel about it if I was God. I know I'm not God, but I'm just saying that, that, would, that would make me matter, you know. Um, and then it goes on to say, they judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. And the right of the needy do they not judge. You know, like the Bible talks about true religion is this visiting the widows and their affliction and the fatherless and, you know, the orphans and the widows and the poor, you know. Most of the time, those types of ministries aren't really focused in on that. They're focused in on building their empire. You know, they're focused in on that. They're not focused. I mean, most of the time in most churches, like the benevolent fund is like the smallest thing that's even emphasized. It is the smallest thing that's. I mean, I've been in enough churches to know that's true. It actually should be the greatest thing that's. But most of the time, they're trying to pay all their bills, building their church up. They can't. You know, I'm not saying they can't, but they have a limited ability to do that. Well, you gotta have your you gotta have your priorities, I guess. You know, but I think the Bible's very clear on what the priority should be. It goes on to say, yet they prosper, and the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I 
not visit for these things? saith the Lord, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Now he's talking about a whole nation doing this. It's almost like a systemic problem. Would you say that's kind of a systemic problem in the modern, the, for the most part, the modern lukewarm 501c3 Church of America? I would say that's a pretty common issue. Don't you, don't you think, you know? I really don't see the church really being the proper kind of salt and light that they should be being and doing a lot of things that they should be doing. I just don't really see it happening. God says, Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. Now that's real common in charismatic circles. I've been there, done it, man. (laughs) That was one of the most radical And I cannot tell you how many bad words from supposedly God that were given to me, and I don't ever remember one really being accurate. I really don't. Um, Particularly if they were like, you need to do this, and you need to do this. And it's like I'd I'd act on it, and I realized that person hadn't heard from God. And it's like they treat it so lightly, because the Bible talks about Deuteronomy 18, the test of a prophet, which is essentially, if it's from God, it needs to come to pass. And then also, if you go back a couple chapters, it'll say, if it's from God, it needs to line up with the Word of God as well. There's two, actually, parts to that. And so much of the time, what I was told was false. And what was the punishment back then? Death. I mean, they killed the prophet if they weren't if they were giving out false prophecies. Today, it's like, well, we'll just go on to the next false prophecy. And we'll forget about that last one I just heard. And I'm like, yeah, but in the Bible, it's a really serious matter. I'm not saying you go on stone people or whatever, but it still is a serious matter in God's eyes, I think. You know, not something I want to mess around with. But today, you know, particularly in charismatic circles, oh, we'll just go to the next false prophecy. Get my ears tickled. Itching ears. Ever-seeking but never come into the knowledge of the truth, swept about and tossed about by every wind of doctrine, I see so much of this. And it's only getting worse. I can't even keep up with all the heresy and the apostasy and the falling away that's taking place. I get people all the time, do teaching on this one. I don't even know who that is. (laughs) I've never even heard of them. You know, most of the time, a lot of the time, I've never even heard of them. I'll try to go up and do an internet keyword search and find something. But the problem is now is there's so much heresy. And there's so many people that have started their own little cult religion. I cannot possibly. There's not even anything written about this heretic at this point. There's not even anything exposing them. Because they're so new on the scene. And I've noticed that there's not a lot of that going on anyway. Uh, There's a lot of really good stuff about older stuff, about like, you know, Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and stuff like that. But it seems as though those writings that used to be taking place a lot, exposing heretics, it's not really happening that much anymore. Lighthouse Trails Research does a good job exposing the modern day emerging church, New Age wise. And that's this article that we're going to be talking about. But there's not a lot of good exposés on specific, I would say, heretics that have a Christian pseudo-veneer anymore, it's very hard to find stuff on a lot of people. So it's really tough anymore. You just can't keep up with it all. And again, it confirms what the Bible says regarding this evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Matthew 24.24 24. Uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 where it talks about the falling away. And then it says, for this cause, God, and this is around the same time you know, of the falling away and the Antichrist arising, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not the love of truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's the kind of time we're living in. So we should be looking out for this. And that's why I just say, I don't point people to me, I point people to the Word of God. The King James Bible in the English language. Just I point them to that, okay? I don't try to point them to me. Um, because man can fail you, but the Word of God won't. So... And it goes on, um, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The 
prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. That's the biggest indictment yet. We want it this way. We want our ears tickled. We want every wind of doctrine. We want to be hear good, smooth words. Prophesy unto this us smoothly. Take away this Jesus Christ. Prophesy unto this us smooth things, as the Bible says. If they were true prophets, <laughs> you know, they would be uh, doing some serious, hardcore rebuking and reproving and, you know, a lot of stuff that people wouldn't want to hear. It wouldn't be, you're going to prosper in 2011, thus saith the Lord, and I will grant thee all that thy heart desire. Give me a break. If they're really hearing from God, you think that they're going to be saying that? With, with the, the spiritual sickened heart condition that the modern day lukewarm church is in for the most part. Not everybody, but for the most part. I mean, come on. And my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? So, anyway, I wanted just to start out with those verses. kind of appropriate leading into this teaching. Uh, this starts out by saying, just ten days after Lighthouse Trails posted its last and most important article of 2010, Rick Warren's Apologetics Weekend, uh, this is the title of the Lighthouse Trails, it's, it was entitled, Rick Warren's Apologetics Weekend Should Apologize for Representing Another Gospel. See, Rick Warren gives you another gospel. He's really giving you the coming New World Order global gospel, if you really look at what he's about and his agenda, working with the United Nations and working with the World Health Organization and really, really, I mean, there's nobody that, that's at more the spear tip than Rick Warren about bringing the Christian, the, I would say pseudo-almost Christian church into the coming one world religion. Now, I don't really know anybody more aggressive than Rick Warren. Uh, uh, but he's preaching another gospel. We must issue the special report regarding a year-long event that will be kicking off at Rick Warren's Saddleback Church on January 15th. So it just kicked off yesterday. So I guess this, this report is appropriate, time appropriate, because this is the 16th today. Near the end of 2010, Rick Warren announced that Saddleback Church would be entering a decade of destiny. He told his congregation that they would be focusing on several key areas, one of them being health and wellness. Uh, the Daniel Challenge... Or the Daniel plan, I imagine this probably has something to do with the Daniel fast, I don't know, is Saddleback's new health initiative on Saddleback's website. It states, this is right off his website, God's prescription for your health. Be part of this transformational debut to be healthier, to be a healthier you. The kickoff is next weekend, January 15th. We'll hear from world-renowned doctors on a plan to get healthy and stay that way for the next decade. Who are the world-renowned doctors that will be helping to kick off Saddleback's Decade of Destiny? Now, I should have given you this. I don't think I gave this to you. Uh, no, I gave, I gave you the title. Okay, so you know what the title is of, of this teaching. Let's, let's get into this. This is just unbelievable. So, who are these world-renowned doctors? Dr. Dr. Oz of the Oprah fame. Okay, one of my favorites. We're going to talk at length about him. And then Dr. Daniel Amen. Sounds like a biblical name, right? And then Dr. Mark Hyman. The video on the website, and there's a link to the video here. You can get it on the PDF. On the website states that the program has been exclusively designed for the Saddleback Church by three of the leading health specialists of America. Let's get right to the point. The three doctors who have put together a 52-week health program for the Saddleback congregants are absolute advocates and proponents of not just Eastern-style meditation, but actual Eastern meditation and much, much more as this article will reveal. Right off, let us say that if you are thinking of perhaps that these doctors will only advise Saddleback on legitimate health advice like exercise, healthy eating, etc., Take a look at the video taking place at Saddleback between Rick Warren and Dr. Daniel Amen. Now, I'll give you the link here. Amen intends to help Saddleback participants to have a, quote, good brain health, 
which he firmly believes comes from meditation. In this video, he openly discusses meditation with Rick Warren. What are the spiritual underpinnings of meditation? These three doctors are propagating. This report will lay it all out for you. Dr. Amen, the founder of Amen Clinics, is the author of over 25 books. He teaches techniques that will improve, quote, brain health, claiming that poor brain health is associated with a host of problems from overeating to depression. As Dr. Amen describes in the video you just saw, he includes meditation. In fact, this is his primary tool as a way to have a healthy brain. It is the nature of this meditation that sets Dr. Amen apart from any other individual that Lighthouse Trails has ever written about concerning Rick Warren. In a six-CD set called Create a More Passionate Night, Dr. Amen has teamed up with advanced certified tantric educator. Tantric. This is tantric sex yoga. That's what that word, it's a form of yoga. Tantric yoga. I've talked about this before. Okay? He has teamed up this six-CD set that he's selling, Create a More Passionate Night, has teamed up with advanced certified tantra educator, T.J. Bartle. It is important that you visit Bartle's website to better understand the nature of what he stands for. By the way, when you hear Bartle say, Namaste, this means the God in me bows down to the God in you. That's what he means when he says that phrase. Okay, This is who Rick Warren is intricately yoking up with here. We have discussed tantric sex in a number of Lighthouse Trails articles in the past, such as one called What Sex Got to Do With It? And there's a link here you can click on. Now, I'm telling you right now, if you got kids or whatever, little children or whatever, uh, this might be not something you want to expose them to this next one. I mean, I'm not going to cuss or anything. I'm going to try to keep it as clean as possible. But you need to understand the extent of what we're talking about here when we deal with tantric yoga, okay, or this the whole principle of tantra. You, you, you really have to understand how evil this stuff is to understand, uh, fully comprehend this concept here. So, okay, so again, let me repeat the last line. And we have discussed tantric sex in a number of Lighthouse Trails articles in the past, such as one called, What Sex Got to Do With It? Now, when I get done with the tantric part, then um, if you got your kids out of the room, you can bring them back in after I get done with this. I don't know how long it's going to take, but um, it's just unbelievable when you look at what this this is. I mean, it is one of the most debased... It's sex magic, is what it is. What we're going to be talking about. It is one of the most debased, sickening, disgusting... It is the most disgusting form of or, or uh, offshoot of yoga that there is. I've talked about yoga. I've done whole studies on. It. In fact, I give you the links there. You know, and if anybody's been exposed to yoga, I have. My mom did it my whole life growing up. I mean, she got other people into it. I mean, big time. But this whole tantric part is a whole other ball of satanic wax. Really evil stuff here. Um, so, uh, please refer to this article. If you are unfamiliar with the spiritual practice, and I give you the link to that. In essence, Tantra, or Tantric sex, is the use of Hinduistic-type mysticism during sexual intercourse. Please listen to what Ray Youngen has said about Tantra and the serious implications of it. Tantra is the name of the ancient Hindu sacred text that contains certain rituals and secrets. Some deal with taking energies brought forth in meditation through the chakras and combining them with love-making to enhance sexual expressions. Once completely off-limits to the masses of humanity, Tantra, like all other New Age methodologies, is now starting to gain increasing popularity. Potential to impact a very great number of people, especially men, was brought out in an article by a sex worker who incorporates tantric bodywork into her services, meaning like a prostitute. She incorporates... Now, when you got people that are involved in the occult being prostitutes, you're really, really, really taking on the demons. Big time. It's one thing if it's a prostitute selling her body for money. I understand there's a demonic big time exchange there. But when you got somebody involved in the occult charging money for uh, sexual whatever, 
and they're incorporating witchcraft into that practice. Oh my word. You want to get demon infested as quickly as possible? You want to get literally demon possessed as quickly as possible? That's who you'd go to. I'm saying that as a warning, not so you go to them, but that that is the worst thing you could possibly do if you, I mean, if, 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 if you don't want to get demon infested, that would be the last thing on the planet you'd want to do. Because it's well known in the occult, when you start combining witchcraft and sex together, that is one of the maximum ways that you infest people with demons. There's probably no other powerful thing you can do. And, and you know, there's different levels of it, but anyway, this it's an article by a sex worker who incorporates tantric body work into her services. She has turned to tantric union to give her clients what she feels is not just sex, but union with the divine. Angels of light spirits. Hey, if it feels this good, how could it be bad? Well, Satan's very good at what he does, okay? Now, the multitudes of men who come to her get much more than they bargained for. In the past, wives and girlfriends needed only to worry about sexually transmitted diseases from cheating husbands and boyfriends. But now, their men may instead be bringing home spiritual entities. Not to say they weren't before, but now it's a whole other level. And it's well known that people that are in high-level occult will gravitate toward prostitution, toward escort services, and those types of things, because... Uh, they can incorporate defiling humanity, which is a mandate of their master Satan. If they're in a witchcraft coven or whatever, they're they're usually prescribed some way or something that they can do, whether it's go into a Christian church and try to break it up or seduce somebody or whatever. Whatever they're trying to do, they're trying to defile humanity constantly. Constantly trying to defile humanity. Bring misery. Bring all these terrible things on, on, on people. And there's Really, no other greater way to do that uh, uh, than this. If you start combining um, witchcraft and sex together, it's really bad stuff. And then it goes on to say, "We are sorry to be so frank, but we must. We are dealing with Rick Warren, America's pastor, the one of the most and perhaps the most influential evangelical leaders today. And in just a few days, in fact, it just started yesterday. He will be starting a 52-week health program that has been designed by Dr. Amen, a tantric sex activist. Dr. Amen expresses his strong feelings about tantric tantric in his book Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. We'll read a quote here. In my book the Brain and Love, I wrote about tantric sexual practices, and I was fascinated by the concept. I wanted to experience it for myself, and thought it would be a wonderful way to enhance my relationship with my wife, Tanya. Um, T.J. Bartle became our teacher. I felt as if I had to share this knowledge with everyone I knew, end of quote. And now he's going to get that real big opportunity through Rick Warren. That was on page 283 of his book. And then it goes on to ask the question, everyone he knows... He's going to share this wonderful tantric sex yoga where you can get maximally, I mean, demon-possessed to the toenails. What's not to like about that? I can see why Rick Warren would, would support it. He's of his father the devil, and of his lust he will do. He wants to get all of his followers totally demon-possessed to the toenails. This is a great way to do it. In fact, this would be the best way to do it of anything that he could possibly ever do. Whole different dynamic than if you go to his church and Saddleback or whatever, listen to his lukewarm messages like a drone or whatever. Whole other different level of demon possession than if you start practicing this garbage. You know. I mean, this is this is ratcheting it up about ten notches. So, it goes on to say, well, now that obviously must include, it, it, when it says, I felt as though I had to share this knowledge with everyone I knew. This Dr. Amen said that. Well, now that obviously must include Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, and even an overflow to thousands of purpose-driven churches. That would, that would potentially be millions of people. Can you imagine if you've got millions of so-called Christians all of a sudden starting to practice tantric sex yoga behind closed doors? Do you realize the evil that is going to perpetuate and propagate and bring forth? You, I mean, can you imagine the fruit of that evil? Because evil produces fruit, right? By their fruit you shall know them? I can't even begin to comprehend the evil this could set in motion. 
It, it, it's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. That, um, on the video interview with Rick Warren and Dr. Amen, Warren states that Dr. Amen's resources would be available for those attending the seminar this coming weekend. Now, I give you the two links to my teachings I've already done on Yoga Exposed, is what it was entitled. In that, I don't really get into Tantra. I'm going to get into that today. I've, said, I've mentioned this before in the past. I'm going to say more about it today. Because I believe that it's, it's important that we understand the full... I haven't really said a lot about Tantra yet. By the end of the study, you'll know what I'm talking about here. You're going to understand how wicked and how evil this is. This is something we should be praying against and about. This is pure evil. So, I, anyway, I give you the teaching I did on Yoga Exposed. It'll be on the PDF. Now... This is from an occult source entitled Sex Magic Tantra and the Great Beast. Now I've edited out the really bad stuff, okay? But just so you get an, an overview of what's going on here. When one conjures up images and sensations of sexual magic, one generally stumbles upon Aleister Crowley, who we talked about a little bit in the last teaching, before anyone else, okay? Known in the press of his day as the wickedest man in the world, and the self-proclaimed great beast 666, Crowley, was the object of much scandal and moral outrage. Now, this article was not written in a way really condemning him, but more like documenting him. Okay, Rejecting the prudence of the Victorian society, Crowley saw sex magic as a supreme source of magical power. Unlike Randolph, Crowley did not advocate sexual magic. I believe Randolph was the guy that started the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn which Crowley came out of, and then started and went into what they call the OTO, which stands for Ordo Templar Orientis, which we're going to talk about here in a second. I'm going to tell you a story about that. I got first-hand knowledge of the Ordo Templar Orientis, and they're evil beyond belief. So anyway, um, uh, unlike Randall, Crowley did not advocate sexual magic as being confined to a state of holy matrimony, and instead made the use of outrageous sexual acts, such as sexual self-gratification, homosexual intercourse, you name it, this guy did it, okay? I don't want to say anything more than that. You just trust me. This shocked and horrified British society. However, despite being the sexual hedonistic deviant and spawn of Satan as presented by the popular press of the 20th century, Crowley's importance and influence on Western occultism should not be overlooked. He's right. It shouldn't be overlooked because he had everything to do with the whole rock and roll rebellion thing that came from Crowley. You can look at the back of the Beatles album, I believe Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, and all, on the back where all their heroes are, you'll see Aleister Crowley standing back there. I mean, they photoshopped him in there, but he's in there. Led Zeppelin, who wrote Stairway to Heaven, which is the most popular rock and roll song ever made that was totally given through what they call automatic writing, which is where the guy was just writing, a demon was, was, was moving his hand, you can backmask Stairway to Heaven and, you know, all the stuff about serving Satan and loving Satan and all this other stuff. It's all there, okay? Most popular rock and roll song of all time, Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin, were actually absolutely enamored with Aleister Crowley. So much so that they bought his house on, Loch Ness, on, on Lake Loch Ness, which is where they have the Loch Ness Monster. I'm not making this stuff up. They really, one of the band members bought his house. And that was the same house that Aleister Crowley did this I mean, a lot of really heavy-duty ceremonial magic rituals. Okay, So he had a ton to do with the defilement of humanity that has led to where we're at today. I'm not saying he has everything, but he has a lot. He really played a huge part. So, um, let's see here. His rejection of Victorian morality and his identification of sex as being the supreme Magical source. Now, understand that. He knew and he identified as sex being the supreme magical source. Uh, introduced new dimensions to the study and the practice of the occult. This is what we're talking about today. Tantric yoga, if practiced in mass, would be like literal mass, extremely high, powerful witchcraft. On a on literally a nationwide scale or global scale. I, I mean, I imagine Rick Warren's influence goes global. And these are supposedly people that are supposed to be salt and light. And and you know 
living, trying to live pure, and being not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I mean, that by itself, why would Rick Warren yoke himself up with, with Hindu mystic doctors practicing tantric sex? We're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is why it's so hard for me to refer people to uh, alternative healthcare practitioners, because so many of them are totally immersed in New Age. I was at one point. Even as a born-again Christian, I was. But God slowly took me out of that and then yanked me out of it, and I've never been in it since. I'm a board-certified acupuncturist. I don't advertise it. I haven't done it in years. I basically destroyed my diploma. But, I mean, acupuncture is all about yin and yang, man. It's all about that occult stuff. And, yes, I've seen acupuncture work, but I don't do it. And um, There's a huge occult component with acupuncture. I, I was in a lot of New Age stuff, but I don't do any of that anymore. I try to practice what I preach, and I, I've, I've come out of all that stuff. I was it took me a while to get shown, but um, you know, God led me to the Lord was the one that introduced me to it all. So I was thinking, oh, he's a Christian. I'm a baby Christian. What do I know? So that's what's what happens, you know, a lot of times. So anyway, um, he knew Crowley knew sex as being the supreme magical source. Uh, particularly when combined with the occult. His study of Buddhism and Hinduism transmitted new ideas and techniques which have affected Western esoteric tradition in a tremendous way. These and many more have made him one of the most influential figures in the revival of magical traditions. Born Edward Aleister Crowley in 1875, he was the son of a highly zealous and prudent father who was very well established in, in the excessively puritanical Plymouth Brethren. He was raised as a, in a strict Christian home in the late Victorian England. Crowley eventually turned to the occult and sexual excesses. So it's not like he didn't have a chance. You know, but he, he went his own way. He was first initiated into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which I mentioned previously. But his relationship with the Order and one of its founding members, McGregor Mathers, ended in turmoil and controversy. In 1899, from onwards, he began traveling. See, from what I read about him, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was not near hardcore enough for him. Now, interestingly enough, where have you heard about this in my previous studies, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn? Well, all of C.S. Lewis's buddies were a part of it. C.S. Lewis, yeah. I've done several studies exposing him. I mean, he had numerous friends. I believe he was a closet member. Just was, he couldn't advertise it. Way too many of his buddies were in the Hermetic Order of Golden Dawn. Why, if he was a true born-again Christian, would he be unequally yoked together with all these unbelievers in high-level, practicing in a high-level occult order? I've done a whole study on that. You can access it up on contendingfortruth.com. Uh, anyway, from, 19, uh, from 1899 onwards, he began traveling to places such as India and Selion, where he studied Hinduism, Buddhism, and yoga, and was exposed to Tantra, which fueled an interest in combining his version of magic with which, which he labeled as magic. Whenever you see M-A-G-I-C-K, that's a occultist way of talking about real magic. I'm not talking about pulling a bunny out of a hat, or pouring milk into a hat and it all disappears, or into a rolled up newspaper. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real witchcraft, heavy-duty magic. And I'm not saying you should even mess with magic. And I'm talking about any form of it because it opens the gateways to the occult. It's What is it? It's sleight of hand. It's deception, if you think about it. And those guys, like Copperfield and, and a lot of these other guys, they are some of the most ungodly people on the planet. And I even heard about this one Christian that had went to unknowingly knowing what he was going to be taken to. He had, somebody had taken him to a David Copperfield thing in like Las Vegas. The guy got in there, this guy was evidently like a real Christian, got in there and David Copperfield couldn't do any magic. Wasn't working. He singled this guy out of the whole audience and had his goons go and get him and escort him out of the building. He couldn't do his act with this one Christian in the building. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then, you know, here's this guy, he don't even, you know, and, and his the presence of this one Christian, the Holy Spirit living inside him, and probably the angels that were there, and camping around about him. 
<laughs> he messed up his whole act. <laughs> Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God we serve. See, the power, we are the one that really has the power. We've got it all backwards. See, Hollywood is teaching everybody, oh, these Christians, they're just a bunch of total hypocrites, and, and they have no power, and, and they're afraid of evil, and this and that. You know what? This is not the way it is. They, they got it all backwards. You know, we're the ones that have the power through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we're the ones that actually have that power. And I'm not saying we go around, you know, use it for the forces of destruction or whatever, but we're going to be in battles in the days and times to come where we're going to need to draw upon that power and we need to have the faith to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ can work through us in mighty ways that all men will see in fear and declare the work of God, that they will wisely consider of his doing, that the righteous will be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright in heart will glory, according to Psalm 64. We need to have that. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You have to have the faith to believe what I just said. So if you don't have that kind of faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Get in the word of God. It'll build your faith. That's the prescription. So, anyway. So he, he was exposed, Crowley, to Tantra when he went to India and Selion, which where he learned about Hinduism, Buddhism, and yoga. Okay, And it fueled his interest in combining his version of magic, which he labeled as magic, with sexual techniques, which made it even way more powerful than it was before. In 1904, Crowley received a revelation from an entity called Iwas, which Crowley claimed as his guardian angel. Iwas appeared and dictated to him, Liber al Valigius, the book of the law. I believe he did this when he spent the night in the... Uh, Queen's Chamber of the Great Pyramid in Giza. Yeah, I mean, something I, you know, something I do definitely. You know, go to the Queen's Chamber, Giza. You know, well, again, it would be the, it would be the probably the greatest place in the world if you wanted to commune with demons. You know, so anyway, that's where he got this book of the law that he was that he automatically wrote. He was dictated to him through this entity uh, called Iwas which claimed that Crowley was to be the herald of the third aeon of humankind, the aeon of Horus, like the age of Horus. Uh, Horus, like, um, you know, um, well, basically Lucifer, the all-knowing eye of Lucifer at the capstone of the pyramid on the back of your dollar bill, Horus, you know, that. The infamy of him being a black magician and the wickedest man in the world was spawned in the period of the 1920s when he found the Abbey of Thelma at a farmhouse in Cephalus, Sicily. The rule of his community was, do what thou will. And that, again, he said, do what thou will be, will be the whole of the law. That's what he wanted to bring the world to. Basically, if it feels good, do it. This is where the 60s got that theme from. The rock and roll age. Hey man, if it feels good, do it. Well, that's pretty much where it came from. Aleister Crowley. In, uh, in which every desire could be gratified and every impulse expressed through free experimentation in drugs, sex, and physical excess. And again, these are all great ways to get just demon-infested. And, you know, he knew that. Crowley continued the tradition of sex magic as set out by Randolph, the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, and the Ordo Templis Orientis although he adapted to his own magical system. In 1910, Crowley became involved with the OTO and soon was declared the Grand Sovereign Master General of Ireland, Iona, and all of the Britons. So see, in 1910, he got involved in the OTO, the Ordo Templar Orientis, which exists to this day. I'll tell you a little bit more about them in a minute here. Although OTO were practicing sex magic before Crowley's reception into the order, he had already received the secret of sex, sexual magic in his Book of Lies. That's what he wrote, the Book of Lies. I mean, that's a great book I'd want to read, you know, hey. And again, I don't ever tell anybody to read this stuff, particularly to buy the book and bring it into your house. What are you doing? You're bringing in a cursed object. I mean, in Acts, when they brought all their books of curious art together and burnt them, don't you think there was a reason why they did that? God, because there's a big fat demon attached to each one of those books, if not multiple. You bring that into your house, guess what? You're going to bring a cursed object into your house. You've got to be really careful about that, because it will affect your thinking. Or at bare minimum, you're going to have open doors. 
I mean, come on. So, uh, according to Crowley, the secret of sex magic is so tremendously powerful that if this secret, which is a scientific secret, were to be understood, there would be nothing which, which the human imagination can conceive that cannot be realized in practice. All of this I'm quoting from you are referenced, and I give you the references in this article. I'm not making this stuff up. That's what one of the world's highest practitioners of witchcraft said about sex magic, which is tantric, essentially, in nature, which is what Rick Warren is going to be promoting for the next year through this Dr. Amen devil. Aleister Crowley said that this secret, if it were perfectly understood... There would be nothing which the human imagination that could conceive that would not be realized in practice. That's how powerful this stuff is from a witchcraft standpoint. Crowley's own diary, Rex de Arte Regia, listed a series of 309 sexual magical acts for the purposes both worldly and otherworldly. Also, Crowley wrote a series of rites for the OTO, which with the highly dramatic ceremony of the Gnostic Mass being the most popular and central to his mystical system of Thelma within the OTO. Now, let me just tell you something about the OTO. My mom had a friend, I've probably said this in times past, but I'll say it again. It's probably been a long time since I've relayed this story. My mom, she used to work for the phone company. She had a friend named Betty. Betty was a pagan. That's how she referred to herself. Um... Proud of it, didn't make any bones about it, was a pagan. Basically, pretty nice person. Not like walking around with like fangs and wanting to kill people. I remember she was obsessed with Camelot. And she had all these shit, you'd go in her house and you had swords on her thing. And, and she was really obsessed with Camelot, which, you know, is, is witchcraft. If you think about it, that whole thing about Camelot, that's not, that's not good. Um, with the Knights of the Round Table and all this. I mean, that, that, was, that was basically glorified witchcraft is what they were operating in, okay? That whole thing. So, her daughter joined the OTO, okay? Which was in, the headquarters was in California. She was in it for years. Then all of a sudden, one day, Betty gets a phone call or something and finds out her daughter's been brutally mutilated and found in the trunk of a car. And I believe what had happened is, is she had either exhausted her use for them, or she got out of line or whatever, they sacrificed her. Found her in this thing. Betty never, ever, ever thought, oh, you know, anything foul play or whatever had went on. This, you know, couldn't have ever been that, no. She even was corresponding with the high priest of the Ordo Templo Orientis, and, you know, he gave her his condolences and this and this garbage. And, you know, I tried to explain to her. I wrote her a, a letter, laid it all out, and said, Betty, I said, honestly, I'm sorry, but I, I believe this is what happened to your daughter. I think she was sacrificed. I think it was ritualistic. And this is what these people do. This is high-level witchcraft. And you know what I even did? I went up on their official website. And I posted their beliefs. And I printed it out. She still didn't believe it. Like, what more can I do? She's so demonically blind that I couldn't even possibly reach her. That's a true story. And that was like when I was not even near the level I'm at now. But I was just able to do enough research. I mean... Their belief system is so blasphemous and so sick, and it's based on this tantric sex magic. This is where I first learned about tantric sex magic, which was off the OTO's official website. And I'm not telling you to go there. What they believe about salvation? Oh, man, I mean, it is so blasphemous, I couldn't even possibly repeat it. Couldn't even possibly repeat it to you on the air. It's that sick. And this is what they believe. And I gave it to her. I mean, I was trying to... Do unto others as I have done unto myself type of thing, you know. Because, I mean, if I was deceived about something, I'd want to know. She wouldn't receive any of it. Not a bit of it. I remember she told my mom, she says, if I ever die... My mom kind of, after I sent that letter, she kind of cut ties with my mom. Because <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I mean... In a way, it was a relief because Betty was, like, always leeching off my mom type of thing. She took advantage of my mom. My mom was a very nice person, was always doing other things for other people. And so I kind of did her a favor, I guess, but um, she said she had this box, 
in her house, and it was full of all of her witchcraft implements. I think she was into some dark stuff. And she said, if I ever die, you take this box and you burn it. And don't even look inside. Yeah, she was into some heavy stuff. I tried to help her. Um, that was on more than one occasion. But, you know, she's so blinded by the demons that have governed and guided her life that, you know, in this particular case, she was pretty much unreachable. Um, so, going back to this article... It is now recognized that Crowley did have some very good knowledge of Indian yoga and was aware of some of the key features features and practices of Indian Tantra. Unlike most Orientalist scholars, he did not denounce Tantra, but instead described it as a valid form of religion. It's a religion. See, this isn't some little innocent thing that you do in the bedroom. It is a religion. And And it's a cult religion. A very, very... High-level form of witchcraft. Uh, Described as a valid form of religion and a most advanced form of Hinduism. The most advanced form of Hinduism. So it would be like you going from, like, you're just dabbling in Hinduism. Some people are doing that. If you were just doing that, let's say entry-level Hinduism, and you went to Tantra, it would be like going from... Entry-level Hinduism to the most advanced level of Hinduism witchcraft that you could go to. And this is what Rick Warren's going to be helping people do and facilitate that. And guaranteed, it is all by design. Going further, let's look at this a little bit more. This is, um, I don't know if this is the Dalai Lama's writings, but it's this called The Shadow of the Dalai Lama, Part 1-4. It's called The Law of Inversion. I quoted right from this. This is an occult source. It says, according to tantric doctrine, evil can only be driven out by evil. (laughs) This is what they believe, okay? According to tantric doctrine, evil can only be driven out by evil. Greed by greed alone. In other words, greed can only drive out greed. And poison is the only cure for poison. (laughs) I mean, this is total insanity. This is tantric doctrine. Let's go further. Suitable, radical instructions can be found within... The Havajara Tantra. There's different flavors of Tantra. Okay, This particular form says, quote, A wise man should remove the filth of his mind by filth. That's what it teaches. As poison can be neutralized by poison, so can sin purge sin. End of quote. I'm quoting right from their own doc. I mean, I, I did a lot of research on this. Uh, last night, researching these things, straight from the horse's mouth, straight from their own writings. Um, everything I'm giving you basically is, is referenced. Okay, And then the next quote, For the same reason, the Kala Chakra Tantra exhorts its pupils to commit the following, to kill, to lie, to steal, to break the marriage vows, to drink alcohol, to have sexual relations with lower class girls. End of quote. That's what that particular form of Tantra teaches kill, lie, steal, break marriage vows, drink alcohol, and have sexual relations with lower class girls. Yeah, sounds pretty godly to me. Next quote. A, a tantric is freed from the chains of the wheel of life by precisely that which imprisons a normal person. See, they transcend good and evil when you get into Tantra. There's no such thing as good or evil anymore. Sounds like the Pope. That last quote we gave in the last teaching... I mean, that's basically what they're saying. There's no, there's no good or evil. Going further, as Tantric saying puts it, what binds a fool liberates the wise. Okay, and another more drastic pack, passage emphasizes that, quote, the same deed for which a normal mortal would burn for a hundred million eons, or ages, through the same act an initiated yogi attains enlightenment. I mean, you can't even hardly wrap your head around the asinine philosophy that we're talking about. Can you believe people go in for this? The same deed for which a normal mortal would burn for a hundred million ages? Through the same act, an initiated yogi attains enlightenment. It's like I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm like speechless. 
Next quote. According to this, every ritual is designed to catapult and initiate into a state beyond good and evil. There's no, there's no more such thing as good and evil, which is a common theme of high-level occult. They get to a point where they believe they transcend good and evil. There's no such thing anymore. There is no difference between food and awful. What is awful? The parts of a butchered animal that are considered inedible by human beings. They believe there's no human. There's no difference between food and awful, between fruit juice and blood, between vegetable sap and urine, and between syrup and semen. End of quote. That's what they believe. I want you to understand this is what Rick Warren is promoting. This is what Rick Warren is promoting. High-level sex magic on a literal global scale because he's got more followers than anybody, right? Got to be exposed. I'm sorry. Um, And again, I'm not going to go into gory details. I'm just telling you flat out this is what's going on. Next part. The ancient yogic text, Damara Tantra, which is another flavor of Tantra, refers to a technique called Shiva. Shivambu Kalpa Vidi, which literally means the urine revitalizing technique, which is where you drink a glass of your own urine every morning. Now, I've had a lot of people email me about this in the past and say, oh, I'm, I had patients once, and they, were, they came to me, and they're all depressed. And they're like, oh, we, we got to do this. I don't want to do it, but we got to do it. I'm like, what is it? Well, it's called urine therapy we got to drink a glass of our own urine every morning, I guess. And I'm like, what? I'm like, this is from tantric sex yoga. They believe in eat, drinking their own urine and eating their own feces. They do. They believe this. This is what they teach. And they were all upset. They were Christians. And they were like all upset about how they were going to have to drink their own urine. So I put together a whole Word document debunking... Uh, drinking your own urine. And they took these verses out of the Bible so out of context. I mean, the one that talks about out of your belly will flow livers of, li- livers, rivers of living water. They're using that to, to, uh, to justify urine therapy. And then it says, drink waters out of your own cistern, which means have sexual relations with your own wife, which if you look at the context of the verse both before and after, it's clearly stated, well, no, this is how cults get started. They take one little verse out of context, isolate it, and say, look, see, it's true. Oh, Lord have mercy. Just look at the Bible in context. I mean, this isn't rocket science here, okay? It's not that hard to figure out. I mean, I'll say I'm whatever, but I mean, golly. Anyway... They do this. This is part of tantric sex yoga. Drinking a glass of your own urine every morning. A notion which seems to be accepted by urine therapy proponents is that urine is really blood. Listen to this. This is interesting. Since it is a byproduct of blood filtering by the kidneys. 100%. uh, Well, let let me just read this. This statement is actually true. But obviously we cannot call urine blood. But it is a 100% byproduct of blood. Every bit of urine that your body excretes is filtered from the blood. Every bit of it. Kind of think about it that way. It really takes on, you know, wow, why would I want to do this, you know? If taken at face value, then we must look into the word of God to see how God feels about drinking blood of which urine is a 100% byproduct. After the vegetation was utterly destroyed by the flood and Noah came out of the ark, God gave permission to mankind to eat flesh foods. Quote, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as every green herb has I given, have I given you all things. There was, however, a restriction placed upon the human race also at that time. Next verse, Genesis 9.4. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Which lasts to this day, okay? We don't want to be going around eating blood. Okay, that's, you know, that's what vampires like doing. You know, we, we don't need to be eating no blood, okay? It's, God put that in there for a reason. This restriction was reaffirmed after the children of Israel left Egypt. It's also referred, it's affirmed in Acts as well. Okay, it's, it's affirmed twice in Acts where it says, shall not eat blood, okay, of anything. So, um, 
in, in Leviticus 3.17 it says, um, through the prophet Moses, God said, It shall be a perpetual statute for all your generations, throughout all your dwellings, that ye eat neither fat nor blood. Okay. Okay, so below I received a, a reply here from a, from a, uh, this was a long time ago when I, when I first mentioned this. A guy named John Hinton, he's a KJV defender. <laughs> this is a reply I received when I brought up Tantra. He said, thanks for the article on urine therapy. This is when I first put that out way long ago. I know a few people who have been duped into this nonsense, although none of them have actually taken part in it. I'll share this with them. As for the tantric aspects, I can vouch for the deep evil of that form of Hinduism. Think about it. Hinduism, uh, particularly in India, is one of the most unclean. People that, that go over there to India, one of the big things you'll hear about them coming back is, is, the, is the utter filth that that religion literally immerses itself in. They have one of their most popular gods is the god of feces. Okay, I've seen documentaries on this on TV. And they, they had this woman and she had a gas mask on. She was outside of this temple of the god of feces where they offer feces. And she said, this is about as close as she could even get, even with a gas mask on. To even there. And they, and they, they had, they were outside and they were, they took this goat and they were hacking its head off with a, with like a machete. I was like, I, I turned away. I don't like seeing that stuff. I don't, I don't like watching that decapitation stuff. And they were hacking this poor goat's off, head off with a machete. And then they had this feces offering and this blood offering. And they were going to take it inside and give it to the god of feces. They were showing how these people would take the cow dung. And they would just let the cows roam everywhere. Because, hey, they're reincarnated. That's that's uh, my buddy, uh, Ed, Ed um, you know, Ed Blankenfield. Yeah, he'd come back as a cow, I guess. And, and there's Sue, Sue Fisher over there. She's a cow. Anyway, they let them walk through their house and do whatever. They would take cow dung and they would prepare all their food with cow chips, burn it like fuel. They would take the cow dung and they would put it in a bucket and liquefy it and put it. They had like these courtyards in their in their open houses and they would polish every square inch of their floor with cow liquefied cow dung and it would be real shiny. Can you imagine the smell? I mean, that's, it's so filthy and unclean. It's a by, a lot of that is a byproduct of this aspect of Hinduism of the tantric yoga. It is a byproduct of that. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do, right? Well, we talk about some corrupt foundation here. Anyway, John Hinton says, as for the tantric aspects, I can vouch for the deep evil of that form of Hinduism. When I was a student in India, I interviewed some of the Agorai Tantrics, which is another flavor of Tantra. And no religion, not even voodoo, sinks to such low levels of demonic depravity as Agorai Tantra. Which included fornication with prostitutes, drinking great amounts of whiskey, and the consumption of human feces and human flesh. They're cannibals too. At the highest levels, tantric yoga, and I found several articles on the internet, they're eating the brains of other people. They said there's this one form of it, tantra. Now, again, you say, yeah, but that's not the, that's, that's the advanced level tantra. This isn't what this Dr. Amen would be teaching. Where do you think it's all going to lead? Do you think the devil's just going to be content you staying in one aspect of tantric yoga? It's still evil. It's still witchcraft. He's going to want to move you into the deeper stuff, right? You stay in it long enough, you're going to get to the bat, real bad. Well, I'm not saying everybody's going to go around eating brains and human bodies, but I'm saying that if you take it to its logical progression, this cult lives on the Ganges River, which is where they'll float dead people into the river, okay, as their form of burial. And they wait for the dead bodies to come downstream. They take the dead bodies out of the water, hack off the limbs, and eat the flesh of these dead bodies raw. That's what they do. And this is a form of Tantra. And this is what good old Rick Warren is going to be bringing into the churches now in mass. And we're just getting started today. So, it goes on to say, John goes on to say, although Gandhi was mild in comparison, <laughs> he calls him a naked savage, or that naked savage, as Winston Churchill aptly called him. Gandhi drank his own urine, his own urine or cow's urine every day. 
He drank a glass of it every day. He was a skinny weakling who was physically decrepit as he was spiritually. That's what John had to say about this. Now, last quote from this. This is from Tantric Mysticism in the Tibet, page 241 through 244. It says, This Tantric rite is detailed in the same Varayana text, which is, the male participant should visualize himself as Lord Buddha, and the female participant should imagine herself as the lady of transcendental wisdom. No pride there. They should fit, sit facing one another and gaze upon their partner with intense desire. Next, she demands the ultimate from him, asking if he is capable of eating her feces and drinking her urine. That's a tantric rite. That's the ultimate for them. Well, if you were Satan and you wanted to bring somebody to as much of a depraved uh, state as possible, that would be a logical conclusion, don't you think? And this is what good old Rick Warren's going to be introducing. In almost all, now going back to the main article here, in almost all the resources by Dr. Amen, he advocates Eastern meditation. Uh, you know what? Before I do that, let's go to the next, let's go to part two, because there's no way I'm going to get this in one part. God bless you. We'll see you in part two.